Welcome to The Reframe. My name is Josiah Van Vliet. I'm a bit sick. I apologize, uh, but I wanted to get this out before the zeitgeist moved on. People have been getting measles again. And this has been a thing that people have been talking about for a while as the anti-vax movement has moved around and it's sort of, you know, one step up from the flat earthers in terms of epistemic rigor. And people have been trying to counter the anti-vax movement in various ways, none of which are likely to work. The thing that I think every time this comes up is that I have an understanding of this that is not widely shared. There's some undergraduate psychology stuff that makes this phenomenon make a lot more sense. And so I wanted to explain that. But in, in order to explain that, I'm going to have to go and do some undergraduate psychology stuff. A lot of this boils down to the older cognitive functions, the older neurological functions are usually faster and usually take a higher priority than the newer ones. Fear response is faster than object identification, for example. Um, breathing takes precedence over anything else. Um, and this is the way the brain is wired for a variety of reasons, both because these fundamental things came evolutionarily first, but also they came first because they're the most important. Um, you don't have to worry about starving to death when you can't breathe. Breathing is the thing you got to worry about. So those circuits respond faster, they respond louder, they take priority, they can take over. That's one thing. Another couple of terms. So I'm going to use these terms as technical terms for the rest of this podcast. I generally don't because I disagree with how these came out, but uh, it wasn't up to me in you know the 19th century when this, they came up with the stuff. But for the rest of the podcast, I'll always mean these definitions when I use these words. Emotions are bodily states. So the combination of a high blood pressure and a high heart rate and a lot of adrenaline and glucose in your blood is an emotion. The feeling of fear, which has all that stuff in it, but is then an interpretation of that state, that's a feeling. So the emotion comes first and it's more basic and it's more about the body. And then the feeling comes second. And in a lot of ways, it's the interpretation of the emotion. And this comes out of the James Lang theory, which is a hypothesis about emotions and feelings and how they happen. And for our purposes, really, this is about an order of operations. What happens first? What happens second? And the canonical example is, it comes to us from William James, the founder of psychology in America. The canonical example being, you're walking in the woods and you see a bear. And the first thing that happens is you react to seeing the bear in a bodily, emotional way. And so what this is going to mean is you're going to enter a fight or flight response mode of some kind. And next, you will see that it is a bear that has caused your reaction. And it's not so much that you'll see it second, but the reality is that the neural circuitry that does object identification is slower than the stuff that does threat evaluation. So the part of your brain that told you to be afraid made you afraid. And then the part of your brain that knows what things are when you look at them saw that it was a bear. And so you enter a fight or flight response, which is an emotion, and then you see the bear, 
you you recognize the thing as a bear and then it becomes fear because now you're afraid of being mauled by a bear but this after the fact evaluation of the situation that you're in can change things very radically um, because the emotion doesn't always have a clear valence it doesn't always have a clear evaluatory cast to it and this is notable in situations where if you did something dangerous and you almost got hurt as a kid and your parent watches this happen the parent enters a you know i'm afraid for my child's well-being excitatory emotional state which while you're in danger feels like fear but then once you're no longer in danger that excitatory emotional state can be reinterpreted by the brain once you're out of danger into anger and you, you can get someone who was ready to run into traffic and you know lift a car off of you in fear for their for your well-being who is then screaming at you in incoherent rage because the excitatory state was at 11 because they thought that their child was in danger and once you're out of danger and they're free to have a, a different interpretation they're at 11 emotionally um so that anger so that emotional state that physical excitatory i'm afraid for my child state interpreted as fear could be very helpful in a life and death situation interpreted as anger it's way over the top but that's a thing that can happen because again you have these separate systems that happen in a specific order and this order of operations is true all the time in regular situations as well we're constantly building hypotheses about why we're in the physical state that we're in and frequently we're wrong the classic example for me is when i'm hungry i get angry and I can have very elaborate rationale for why I'm mad at somebody while I'm hungry that all vanish once I've eaten. Turns out they were all just hangry. This can happen all the time, but we're constantly trying to figure out why our, our non-conscious systems are doing what they are. And having a robust self-knowledge and a good capacity for hypothesizing and storytelling is a big part of being an effective adaptive human being and being good at being who you are is knowing that if you're the kind of person who gets hangry that's a good that's something you have to keep in mind after a skipped lunch because you're going to have those feelings but you can be better and worse at interpreting them okay so having covered this um this pattern of we have the stimulus and then we have an, ex an emotional reaction, and then that emo emotional reaction gets interpreted into a feeling. One, two, three. Stimulus, emotion, feeling. Given that, let's talk about vaccines. So let's talk about condition one. Condition one is present day, more, let's say five years ago. Five years ago, you basically couldn't get measles. So the first emotionally relevant stimulus for a parent getting vaccines was watching a stranger stab mystery fluid into their kid 
That's the first emotionally relevant part of this for them. That evokes an emotional state, at least in the child, and then definitely in the parent after that. So we have, an, we have a stimulus, we have an emotion, and now we have a problem. Like, what are we going to do now that we're afraid in the doctor's office? What feeling are we going to call this? And trickier than what feeling are we going to call it, what are we going to think the source of this feeling is? Because now you, now the parent and the child are in the doctor's office afraid. And it makes a lot of animal sense to be afraid of the vaccine, the vaccine giving process, yada, yada. Condition two. Condition two is when you could get measles. Now, when your kid could just die for having been in the room with the wrong person, the emotional stimulus is your kid might die of measles. And in that framework, you have the, um, the stimulus is measles. The emotional state is afraid that your kid will die of measles. And now the experience of getting the vaccine, no matter how unpleasant it is, is an effective response to the fear of measles. And its own emotional valence, while present, is nowhere near what the fear of measles is like. Right? And now, instead of having to guess what you're supposed to do with this feeling that came out of the doctor's visit, your child's fear of the pain and fear of the injection becomes something to correlate with a corrective. So now it's something that you should be brave about, not interpret on its own right. So in the world without measles, we have a free-floating, unpleasant emotional state sparked in children and parents that they're not told how to deal with well, right? And especially from an animal perspective, right? The human animal. This is difficult to figure out. Now, we've got a lot of words and we've got a lot of stories and we've got a lot of tales to explain. Well, measles is really bad. This is, you know, just a little pinprick. This is something that's obviously for the good, but that doesn't speak to our animal selves at all. Those systems do not really care about those, about those stories. And, and again, you know, your ability to interpret your emotions and your ability to storytell about your feelings is very important. And you can see the difference here. Some people can look at the evidence, trust the authority figures that are correct, and come away with a adaptive response to the problem of the upsetting experience of vaccines. Other people, not who are f part of a different cultural tradition, those gut feelings are very serious. And they've been taught by their cultural and tribal affiliations to take their gut reaction very seriously. So they have this feeling that they understand that they should take seriously, but they're not getting any good direction that they can believe about 
what to do with that feeling. Because the doctor and the sort of sciencey people are just going to be like, do the right thing. Look at the evidence. This does not help people deal with their feelings. When you have an emotion, your first response is to look around at the world and try and find out what is the cause of this emotion. And if you live in a world in which no one you've ever known has ever had the disease that someone says they're vaccinating your kid against, that's not a really good, obvious sell for why you're afraid at the doctors and why vaccines ook you out so badly, right? And the simple answer is you don't like strangers stabbing your kids, which is totally legit. But like, again, it takes a cert certain amount of sophistication to see that. A thing that parents have seen that they don't know where it comes from and they are afraid of is autism. And so you have this unexplained threat and this un handled fear sitting in the same population at around the same time of life. And you have people who take their feelings seriously, who don't have a lot of respect for authority figures, especially not, you know, smarter than you, just do what we tell you, God, you're dumb for worrying about this, we told you it was fine read this peer-reviewed journal article that you don't have time for that is going to make you feel like a dummy. No, it's, it's totally unhelpful. And at the same time, there's this fear of autism, and we don't really know what's causing that. And it has always made perfect sense to me that these people with this unhandled fear and this undescribed threat would, of course, just, like... Because that at least makes emotional sense, right? Because it collapses the two things. And furthermore, when you have an uncontrolled fear or an unmanaged fear like this, the brain doesn't really care about good argumentation and good evidence. You know, the vast majority of evolutionary time involves animals that didn't even have the possibility of logical arguments. Logical arguments aren't really given a lot of weight neurologically. And so when you have people who have uh, uncontrolled threat states of various kinds, they get superstitious because it's sort of a demand of the environment that you take some sort of action to take control back to get yourself back into a safe state. Now, there are situations that we can prove you can't get safety back. You can't get control back. You can't make the feeling go away. But we have old animal brains, and they don't care. The feeling of fear is a call to action. And so you see from these parents rescheduling of vaccines, and that's clearly just some sort of, you know, I'm afraid. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to impose my will and create a sense of order that makes sense to me. And that's just obviously what a person in that emotional state would do about that kind of situation. 
this is a thing that doctors should be able to figure out, right? Doctors should understand that they're doing something that the parents don't like, that the kids don't like, that's upsetting and fear-inducing, and that the countervailing threat is emotionally not relevant, right? Like measles was not emotionally relevant to anybody in the United States for a generation or two. I don't know. I don't know the numbers, but like in 2010, like measles was not something you could be viscerally afraid of in this country. Nobody ever had it. Nobody ever saw it. And you can't, and like, this is just an obvious reality that you can't talk people out of their feelings. You can help them interpret their feelings, but the, the, uh, oh, I, was, I just made the technical mistake. You can't talk people out of their emotions, right? You can negotiate what feeling they're going to call it, but you can't just, have you tried not being afraid? Like that doesn't work. That's not an option for the human animal. And doctors should know that. And doctors should, like pediatricians generally, should have been able to figure this out. This is something that you could have, you know, given any anybody with an undergraduate in psychology and asked them, like, what would you do? And they would give you, you know, God only knows how many solutions to this, but it wouldn't be just like, oh, you're dumb. That's never going to help, even if it, like, is kind of true. Yeah, I don't know. That's the reframe for right now. I'm sick. Talking sucks. I, like, had to take a million breaks for tea. But before I go, this insight while I was writing this up leads me to the best prank I've ever come up with. And so this is what you do, is you come up with uh, a homeopathic nonsense supplement that claims to protect children from the negative effects of vaccines. So then the parents pay you for sugar water that gets them to go to the doctor and get vaccines because now they have a sense of control, right? Where they've done something to protect their children from this, you know, this threatening, unpleasant experience. And then the pediatrician has to deal with the fact that the parents have been lied to twice, once that the vaccine was dangerous, and then again that they've been protected. And then you have this amazing moral conundrum where the pediatrician is stuck just doing, I don't even know what you do with that moral conundrum at that point. Anyway, uh, if anybody wants to take that idea, if it works, uh, send me a check. Um, anyway, this has been the reframe and appreciate your time. Thank you.